Everyone, this is episode 205 of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. I'm Rugby Reg, and it's been yeah, pretty big day in Australian rugby union with a fair bit happening. We thought the bye weekend with three teams having buys might ease us into this week, but no, then the uh, you decide to drop off on us their annual report and their strategic plan. And would you believe it? It's the week the Wet Reds have their first win. Um, so everything's happening. We've got a great bunch of people here to have a chat. Matt, how are you today? Uh, I'm I'm good, mate. But this conspiracy, obviously, people just trying to keep the Reds down. Just you know, I am it, outraged. It, I thought it was going to be an hour of Reds talk, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the bloody AIU, bloody Waratahs, mate. Waratahs conspiracy. <laughs> exactly right. Um, and also Hugh Cavill. Hugh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, big day. Big lot of stuff. Lot of stuff at the moment. Not sure how we're going to get through it in, in <laughs> just our usual hour. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. But luckily, we've got this nice, strict, rigid. Um, uh, framework we work with these days. We've always got Bobus on the bench uh, in the booth, in fact, this week. Um, and we've got a special guest we'll get to in a very second. But, Matt, um, as per last week, we've got a, uh, a sponsor on board this week. Sporpool are helping us out. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it, would you? Um, look, Sporpool, I don't know if, if you didn't listen last week for some strange reason. Um, Sporpool are a platform that connects players with clubs looking for players from around the world. So, and it's not just professional players. Um, they're right into subbies rugby even in Australia. It's free. Get on there. Um, see what's going on. You, you know, if you're a player, you can – all sorts of information. You can upload videos. You can do all sorts of things. Um, even if you're like a schoolboy and you're just starting to think about what you're going to do next, um, Sportball is there. So get stuck in. And for the clubs, like I say, people from half the Shoot Shield clubs are doing it, Premier clubs are doing it, right down to subbies. So, um Get stuck in. Go and have a look. Good stuff, and thanks to their support. Um, look, five burning questions again tonight. Roughly those questions are as follows. First and foremost, do the force deserve a right of reply? Uh, we've had a fair go at the, the force and what's happening over there the last few weeks. So do they deserve a right of reply? I think we know the answer. We've got a special guest I'll introduce in a second who will give us that response. What the hell is going on with the annual report? The ARU annual report dropped. Their strategic plan dropped. Five-year plan. We'll have a look at that. Um, the Reds. Was what did their red, that Reds win prove? Did it prove that they're getting better? And you look at that first half, or or no, they're still a fair way off uh, thanks to that second half. What about our Rio prospects? The Olympics are in August. Uh, given the weekend, the women won. The men didn't. How are we looking from that perspective? And finally, Gag is pissed off, guys, and he wants answers. Foreigners coming into our game, our our big rep- recruits, our imports. We're going to have a chat about who we think have been the best and who have been the worst in Super Rugby. So we'll get to that in a second. But first and foremost, still talking about the force. And finally, we've got someone, a local, who can give us a bit of insight on what's going over here and refute some of the claims that have been going on. Ben Yates, thanks for joining us, Ben. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. I'm definitely feeling the West and East Coast, um, I guess, separations and the marginalisation over this way. But it's good to be on the couch and talking some good rugby. Well, it's good to have you here, Tupac. So let's talk us through it, mate. Give us your, uh, give us a bit about yourself and your involvement in rugby over there and, and then launch in how do you feel things have been portrayed over the last little while? 
Okay, yep. Um, keen advocate for uh, rugby. So um, played uh, club rugby in Western Australia, played for uh, the Midlands Rugby Club, um, played all through high school for Wesley College, and um, yeah, just a, I guess, a tolerant for supporter because it's been a hard, hard couple of years. All right, well, talk us through it, mate. What, what are your big issues, mate? Big issues are, all right, um, to start off with, guys, I think, look, um, the f- I think a lot of your comments, a lot of the comments that have been um, said are, are warranted, to be honest. We've been pretty deplorable over um, the last five years or so. We had the Richard Graham saga, and then we've come through, and in 2014, we had a, a reprieve, and... And then now we're back at square one again. But look, I think I think there's an upside, guys. I don't, I don't think it's as dire as um, as the as you guys or as people on the East Coast might think it really is. Um, I think the force recruited quite well in the off season with uh, Donny Lance was I think probably one of the best buys that um, the force have, have done. Uh, you saw that, uh, especially in that Brumbies game where he linked up with Luke Morahan, and you can start seeing those combinations really come together and with that new style game plan. Um, I guess the injuries, I think the injuries are the biggest are the biggest concerns of the force at the moment, and it's a lack of depth. And we've, I think news came out today, guys, that Peck Cowan's going to be out, and look, that scrum... Isn't Jeez. the strongest. So yeah, your your front row depth has really been tested at the moment. You've uh, been uh, pushed quite significantly in that area. Absolutely. And look, guys, I said piece last week. You saw against the the Crusaders, the line out was deplorable. I think I've got a stat here. We won. I think it was uh, four out of fourteen line outs. And look, you can't win a game when you um, winning forty four forty four percent. So four. Out of 14 lineouts, so um, a lot of issues for the force. But look, I think lineouts are something you can get sorted for the next week. But um, yeah, definitely that just that depth, guys. We just haven't got haven't got the depth or the skill. All right, give us a let's let's talk about some of the issues we've raised in the last couple of weeks and um, the financial concerns that the force are in. What's the state of rugby over there? Give us the first from the force perspective. We we know the performance on the field. Do they have a profile? Do they have the support amongst? I guess. Let's talk at the rugby community, but isn't it broader than that? Is an awareness of the force over there? Yeah, good question, guys. Um, it, it is an issue. But, look, in saying that, the force and Western Australian rugby do have a really strong core. And there are – the atmosphere at the games, you're getting 10,000-plus to a game. Um, the Crusaders game had 12,301 people. just read a stat. And um, – Look, there and in that in NRB Stadium, it does create actually a really good atmosphere. Um, we've got Western Australia. We've got you know we've got a lot of expats from the UK, South Africa, New Zealand, and there is you know there there is that core rugby community in Western Australia, and that feeds through the high school system, which is the PSA system, like you're in New South Wales, the CIA is it is the CIS. Yep. So the system and there that's is, yep. and, and and that's got a quite a, quite a quite a strong following. And um, the club rugby, look, it's, it's no shoot shield or um, premier grade in Queensland, but, um, yeah, there is, there is a, there's a strong core community in Western Australia that wants to see rugby still here in Western Australia and then do go out 
to the force games and, and, and support the guys. And I think the Sea of Blue really need to be um, congratulated and almost, um, you know, um, and the force need to thank them because you know, the, force, the, the, the quality on the field has been quite poor and the fans keep turning out. Yeah, you're right. That Sea of Blue is a big one. And, you know, we, we completely recognise the passion of the Force fans as that core group of Force fans, which every club needs and, and they do well. Hey, what about, I'm interested in that expat community. That was always one of the selling points. Um, and indeed, we see it you know, through the even the recruitment within the um, the Force themselves, a lot of South Africans and the coaching squad and the playing squad. Are they getting behind the Force, the expats? To be honest, yeah. Um, somewhat, somewhat. You, you really see when the like teams like the Crusaders come over. You see teams like, uh, I guess, in recent times, the, the Highlanders. The crowd does, you know, peak a little bit more in those sort of games. Um, I think you touched on a couple of weeks ago about um, in the podcast from you um, about moving to West Sydney and yep. thinking that it's not a good, not not a good idea. And he's saying that um, it's just. It's just field on field performance. And I really think that if the force can, if they can become a mid table team or push mid table and push the finals, they'll they'll, they'll get fifteen thousand people to to the, to the stadium, and they'll they'll get a good support base, and the expats will come out. So, what needs to happen to make that? Is that a coaching thing? Is it a playing uh, roster thing? How, how do you get that mid table finish? Yeah, uh, it leads on the next. It leads on to the next issue. Is um, look. Um, We've got Michael Foley. I think he's under a lot of pressure. Mm. Um, look, he was, didn't have the best record when he came from the Waratahs, if I recall. Um, and, look, I think, I think this season's been a tough season for Michael Foley, losing um, Godwin in inside, losing um, Jono Lance yep. in 10, and um, even Moraham was out for a little while. So, that, you know, that, your whole new game plan, your new style of rugby gets thrown out of the window and you've got new blokes coming in. Um, but... I have I've heard rumours on the side that a lot of players don't aren't, aren't seeing eye to eye of Michael Foley at the moment, and that there is um, tension between uh, players and coach, and whether that has a lot to do with the on-field performance, whether how that's doing with the governance of the club, or um, I, I can't comment any further. But I have heard those speculation about that at the moment, and I think if players can't respect the coach, I know, you know. Head coach is a very difficult position um, to be in, and I think it's I take a special person and a special talent to be a head coach. Um, and I think you need the respect from the players. I don't think Michael Foley is getting that respect from the players simply because he's not getting the performance on the field, and and he hasn't he hasn't got a rec. If you can be an absolute tyrant as a head coach, you can be you know draconian in your policies if you've got a good record behind you, but he doesn't really have that behind him, and the performances don't suggest that it's going to get any better anyway. So I guess coaching is a big question mark, and it's a decision I think the board and the club at the Western Force are going to have to make at the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough one. I mean, because I think uh, with that whole um, coaching thing is just, you know, so then who do you get? And who do you get mid-season? I mean, everyone says, oh, but, you know, we had – check that was close but I mean you know that looked from a mile away like it was you know a bit of a negotiation um, 
sort of gambit that he was running with the Tars back then. Um, I mean, I think you know, I think Bobus is throwing from the booth. He's, he's he's actually smashing on the booth here, trying to get this at Lancaster is what he's mouthing. Uh, yeah, exactly. But um, you know, so so it's, it's it's a tough one. But you you seem to be, you know, it's it's obviously speculation. But you seem to be hinting there about there's a style. What that he's like? It's it's my way or the highway. But he's not getting the results to kind of warrant that. Is is that what you read between the lines, Ben? Ah, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm reading between the lines. So, mm. um, yeah. Culture issue, and if you're not winning games, I, I, I see the four. You just, I think you can see it sometimes, and you see it, you know, against the the Hurricanes, and you lose, you know, 20 minutes of the game, heads go down. I feel like, and you just, and even against the the, the Crusaders last week, the first half there was no attitude in that first half, was there? Come on, guys, it was just, mm. it was crap. The whole game was crap. It was a poor game for rugby, and that's another issue with competing against AFL. You know, you've got. In Western Australia, unfortunately, we have to talk about AFL, but you had that game, you know, the Crusaders and that spectacle. The Crusaders were terrible, but they got away with a win. And the force needed to jump on that opportunity and win those games, and they, they can't. And then you've got the Western Derby the following day, which, you know, you look at that and the West Australian public go, yeah, shit, the force crap. The Derby, let's go watch the Derby. So, um. Yeah, it's it's. I I don't think it's a, a situation where they're going to move the force to Western Sydney, but I think it's a, it's you got to rec, you got to recognise the problem before you can fix the problem, and I think we need to recognise that problem, whether it's the coach, whether it's the culture, whether it's um, leadership on the field, whether it's just the skills of the players aren't good enough um, that need they need to be fixed, and if we get the results, the crowd will come and the support will come. Yeah, indeed, and you're right. They had that great 2014 series, and and, and I think there's a there's a need for a, a change of coaching. Unfortunately, who'd want to be a coach? But it it gets to this scenario when it has the impact on the team, and if there's rumours of disquiet amongst the players with the coach, they're generally even if they're 50 percent true, mate. That change has got to happen because uh, yeah. it, it doesn't help, and it helps it hinders recruitment and all those sorts of things. So um, you'd think change has to be made at the force. Yeah. And, I, and to go further than that, um, well, there's, there was um, spec or speculation or last year as well, you might, about getting a kicking number 10 to the force. And yep. Michael Foley went out and, you know, had his player line up in sight. And then the board turned around and said, look, no, we haven't got the cash. We're not going to pay him. So that, as a head coach, I'm sure that pisses you off when you've been given instructions and you go find someone and the board, you know, cut, you know, Cuts off your your plans and that you know and and sort of just discard everything you've tried in the off season. So I think there's a bit of friction between board, coach, coach, players. So and I think it's becoming evident on the field, guys. So who was that player, Ben? Who do you do any idea who that was? Um, no, no, I don't. Yeah, okay. But, hey. I guess the big question a lot of us East Coasters want to know is how are you guys coping out there without your IP rights. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> everything comes under the um, autismuses of the RU now, right? Doesn't yeah, exactly it? Exactly so... right. We can't quite <laughs> gather what's going on, but uh, we know you don't have them anymore. No, that's right. Well, coming from a, a, a liberal Western Australian state, it feels kind of socialist, and we don't like it over here. <laughs> so... uh, no, I've, I've seen them on the black market, mate. You can pick them up. 
<laughs> oh, good. The good. fourth IP rights, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of fake T-shirts coming out of Thailand with the Western Force logo. Yeah, it's just anyone's game. <laughs> look, look, as an Australian, look, we're going to talk about the annual report lately, later when you when you leave us. But um, that uh, the fact that you bring up about the the Western derbies, the AFL over there, and people, the quality of the game, it does get uh, mentioned and touched on in there, and it's it's a challenge that the ARU recognises that they've got to turn around, and that excitement level at Super Rugby level, at least, um, and that has to be changed. How they do that, uh, they've got some ideas, but how successful they'll be, we're not too sure. So the Crusaders, so as you say, the force went down to the Crusaders 20-19 to 19 in a tight one there. Looked like all sorts of hope when, with and, uh, a victory, another victory versus the Crusaders, but it wasn't to be. You guys have the week off this week, obviously, Ben, which will be... Uh, uh, I, I guess a welcome with a few injuries there with the the um the next home the next game round nine a home game versus the Waratahs so uh, plenty to uh, I guess shape up for good absolutely yeah we we need we need those injuries back we need those guys to be as fresh as possible and look the force have done it pretty tough recently like we've head to head in New Zealand we've had yeah the Canes the Canes the Highlanders the Crusaders the Brumbies. You know, it, it, it's been it's been a it's been a tough gig for the last five weeks. So uh, I think Foley came out today and said, you know, we have played against probably your top you know top five teams in the competition, and um, yeah, it's you know it's um, these you know these, these these results maybe you know might be a bit more misleading than what the actual um, the story says. But I, I guess the the um, thing I'd, I'm really interested in is if we get the in, when those injured players get back, like Johnny Lance get back and Goblin get back, see how we actually go. If we can pick up some wins and we can put you know a good game plan together and start playing some enterprising rugby back into the season and win a couple of games, that'd be very promising and hopefully send 2017 off into you know a good start and some of the blokes stay in Perth because yeah, would not like to see it go to Western Sydney, guys. Yeah, no. Look, we're we're with you. We want we want it to work. We want it to work um, across the country. So let's hope, much as you do, mate, that the the force find their feet this season and, and string together a few wins. So um, we'll see how how it happens, mate. Thanks for joining us, Ben, and we uh, we'll try and get you on again uh, to talk force uh, when the force are back on the schedule. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for having me. Good on you, Ben. Cheers, guys. Thanks, mate. Such a man walked the ball. I gave him the opportunity. When I spoke to him, he spoke to my family. I won't have it. That was Ben uh, joining us before, so thanks for your time, Ben. Look, the next big one, and we touched on it there, there's been plenty of announcements today uh, being uh, Tuesday from the AAU. It started first up. Was it this was today? It was the annual report dropped today, wasn't it, guys? Yep. Yep, it was this morning. It's been a long day. It's hard to keep up with it all. So AAU annual report released today, basically... Um, announcing, as we suspected, a significant loss or close to $10 million uh, for the year. Um, lots of factors in here. Matt, have you had a chance to digest this at all, looking at the fun, our annual report first before we start looking at the strategic plan? Mate, look, I had a flick through. Um, oh, I guess this, this time round, what we usually do is we kind of trawl through to see what the finances are looking like, and I guess... That's all been kind of, sort of superseded by the stuff that's been coming out, yeah. um, you know, over recent months around 
first of all the media deal, but then everybody turning up with their losses. You know, they're kind of bringing out the dead yep. um, once those the media deal came out. So when we then found out that well, there were ten million in the hole last year, and five million of that, which is a pretty amazing number, was going to the rebels, I believe. Yep. Um, you know, in some ways that kind of that kind of paled. I mean, the bit that I really was wanting to get into because it was the bit that they were wanting to trumpet was around participation numbers um, because I think I get look why they had to release these two things on the same day I found pretty interesting Um, to me it kind of felt like you know why would you drop it you'd drop it because I don't know you kind of felt that there's only so many 70 page reports full of kind of meaningless verbiage anybody can trawl through and that you wouldn't be able to connect all the dots, um, which, it, which, di- which is difficult to do. So I, I found it pretty strange that you'd do that. Because we, we, we were told months ago that the five-year plan was going to turn up at the end of February. Yeah. Um, and then we got – I know you guys slightly disagree with me, but then we got what, what I believe is a really bland document um, with, yes, yeah, some – sweeping statements about where our strategy is going, but absolutely nothing concrete about where we're actually going to put our money down. Um, I mean, I don't know if that's just because things are changing so fast they can't keep up with it. Um, so, and then the, and that, that's all come out together. So as far as the AOE report's gone, I haven't got stuck into the numbers. Um, that's still to come. Um, but the one that I was kind of scratching my head open, uh, head, head over um, was the participation stuff. Um, and look, the, the headline for me, was they said, and it was this is the bit that they, you know, they actually pulled out. And actually, let me get um, the, the quote here because I think it's important, probably, uh, to get this uh, right as far as what the ARU actually said. Um, here it is. Uh, oh, let me get this. Sorry. I know where you're going to, mate. There, overall across Australia, there was a decline of seven point six percent. In Club 15s, rugby between 2014 and 2015, partially offset by a growth of 8.1% in Club 7s. Yeah, I mean, look, actually, in their press release, they yep. actually used the words cancelled out. Yeah. And look, and, and so there's two things about that. One is that, and here's the bit. So I then drilled into the report thinking, what I'd like to know is how, many, how much is this apples and, and apples versus oranges, right? So number one is just in the pure numbers. A 7.1% drop in 15s and club has got to be, in terms of numbers, in terms of players that we've lost, has got to be a you know, magnitude of 10 greater than what we've gained in sevens. But look, I'm just guessing because if you drill into the AU report, there's no way of seeing that. They, they talk about at the bottom, oh, we've done some sort of census. Don't supply the numbers. I've got no way of, no, I've got no real way of knowing except that you know that's got to be the case because club sevens just isn't surely, um, close to being as big as club 15s. So first of all, to say that numerically those two things cancel out because they're a similar percentage is just mind-blowing. And if, if you actually look in, then in, in the report, they even visually try and show an arrow down of the 7% being the same size as the arrow up. So it's just, it's, you know, it's just stupid stuff. But then my second bit, and I think this is the big, big discussion that we need to have, and I must admit my, I have progressed in my thinking a little bit on this, is just the idea that, you know, rugby 15s anyway equates, or should I put it another way around, that rugby 7s equates in any way to rugby 15s. Um, and it seems to me, and maybe I'll let you guys have, have your viewpoint on this first before we come 
come back round to it. But I find it very hard to, to think that those two things equate. I think this is apples and oranges again. Um, in no way are we ever going to be getting as excited about um, the seven series. I don't even think we'll be getting as excited about the um, uh, Olympic you know, medals as we do about a rugby 15s World Cup that comes around every four years. So trying to make ourselves believe that the arse dropping out of 15s, um, and it's just because it's just a different game. It's, you know, it's not like – people say, oh, but what about T20? T20 is basically cricket. I mean, you've just shortened it um, and, you know, you know put, put people in some different coloured clothes. Sevens is a different game um, altogether. You don't have the same body shapes and sizes. You don't have the same skill sets. Um, and, not, and as well as, you know, the length of the game, it's a very different thing for spectators. Um, it's kind of popcorn. I know you've been getting it to a reg, but I can only watch so much of it, right? Um, it, whereas, you know, it's just not that, that, that same sport. And then it's, in terms of what the world cares about, it is not the World Cup and it's not going to be. So we can kid ourselves with participation numbers and everything else and say it's an entry. I don't see how it's an entry in the 15s. For, you know, Australia's biggest problem hasn't been about attracting people who can play from seven, you know, seven and then the back line. Australia's biggest problem is that tight five um, and where 15s rugby is really won, and that's, that's not helping. So you know, while I hear the thing about, well, we're just in a tough market, Guys, you're going to have to find a different answer because it's not going to be, you know, Viva 7s and 7s isn't going to fill that gap as far as where we see rugby is. And you can write it in a strategic plan that we just need to change our mindset. The rest of the world isn't going to change their mindset. So if you really want to be a competitive uh, force on the world stage, kind of doing a Francis Underwood and saying, well, I don't like what the numbers are, so I'm going to reset the table and, and start talking about how it's not about 15s, it's about other stuff. Um, isn't answering isn't answering the right you know isn't answering the question in, in my mind and saying well we're just in a tough market well you know that's not doing it either. I've got heaps to say here, Hugh, but I want to give you a chance to say uh, to jump on board because you've been sort of uh, kept out so far. Uh, anything on Matt or if you want to make? I don't know where to start. Yeah, no. I, like, I, I thought I thought I'd tune into Alan Jones there for a second. It was just, <laughs> just off on a ramp. That, that's oh, yeah. all time. That's, that's uh, fantastic, Matt. Um, and look, I don't disagree with a lot of what you say. I suppose what I would, what I would pick up on, um, and th- look, there's a lot, there's a lot of meat to go in this, in this, and, and there's a lot that will continue. I mean, I, I think just to go back to the start, why I think they put them both out on the same day is I think they fu- is a fundamental acknowledgement that the annual report is essentially bad news, and the strategic plan is good news, and. They want one to cancel the other um, or, you know, they want the focus to be on the five-year strategic plan with the point basically being, look, last year was a bit of a stinker financially and in terms of some of our stats but all this good stuff we've got coming up. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad media strategy and certainly I think it has actually um, covered up for a lot of what the, the, the big financial loss was, which a lot of that is part and parcel in a non-World Cup year – sorry, in a World Cup year – um, and it was pretty much expected, but still having that five-year focus ahead with that TV money certainly um, can put a bit of shine on what is essentially a pretty ugly sort of um, annual report. In terms of what Matt was saying, and I'll let you get to it, Reg, um, to, to sound off, but I, I, look, I, I don't think what the ARU are saying is that sevens is the future and we'll all be loving sevens and 
you know, the Thunderbolts are going to be the Wallabies in 10 years' time. I, I, don't, I don't think that's what they're saying at all. I, I think, and this was the, the quote that I pulled out, actually, and I put on my Twitter feed today, and I'll read it out now, which I think is the best sort of sentence that summarizes the whole plan, actually, and I think it addresses what you were saying, Matt, and, and I quote, Our 15th game in club rugby is at the heart of Australian rugby, and keeping it strong must be central to ongoing success. However, it looks increasingly likely that on its own, the traditional male 15s game in rugby heartlands will be insufficient to grow our clubs and base of participants, particularly with the changing demographics of Australia. Our target is to reach new markets of people not currently participating in organised sport, to build a more diverse participant base, and ultimately increase the number of players entering rugby clubs. Now, I think that's... That's fundamentally what they're saying is, look, sevens is just one of our sort of strands. It's still all about 15s. But ultimately, the writing's on the wall with 15s at a, at a, at a senior level, especially that it's, you know, it's never going to grow back to what it used to be. And if, if not, it's going to keep shrinking. And we've got to look to ways of accommodating what people want, which is shorter, sharper, um, less contact, more uh, active sort of games that are inclusive with male, females. And these are the way that we're going to sort of Try and try and tailor our product to what is essentially a changing market at the grassroots level. Um, at the top level, it's all about 15s, and our sevens are important, but it's all about 15s. I, I think I think that's what they're trying to say. And, and look, I, I think it's it, it's a smart strategy. Now, when the rubber hits the road and they have to start apportioning money to make that happen, well, that's when we start to hit problems. But I, I think in terms of a strategy document, um, that five-year plan made. What I'll, you know, I, I thought it, I thought it was pretty good and made sort of the right noises to to um to to what I think the broad direction our game would be going. A lot of meaningless crap and meaningless targets that no one's going to care about. But you know, the, the, there was some logic as I just read out in in hidden within the rest of it. But, right. could I, could I, but but you know, maybe something to start you off on, Reg. But mate, there's nothing to worry about. You've given me plenty our, to start off on. Our, our, our participation figures are through the roof, mate. So, I mean, you know, what are we even worried about, Reg? Well, wait, 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 quickly, quickly, quickly. Sorry. <laughs> Look, but then they didn't shy away from that 10% drop in participation. You know, Pulver's made it out in a number of quotes. It's not like they were trying to, you know, previous regimes might have buried that deep in a report that, you know, actually deep in the numbers if you, if you really drilled into it that, yeah, there was a massive drop. I mean, I, I think most companies, most things will, will – try and make things seem rosy in their annual report and in their press releases. But ultimately, the, I think the fact that they put it there is it shows that in some way they're at least not trying to hide from it. Yeah, I agree. And, and Hugh, you make the point, made the point about the annual report um, being, or the strategic plan being re- released after the annual report to sort of hopefully buffer some of the story there, which has worked well because we haven't even talked about the annual report and we probably won't. You know, we won't even get to the point that the, the RU wrote off a $5 million to the Rebels. Let's focus on the strategic plan and the participation. Matt, you bang on about that 7.6, the 8.1 for the Club 7s. It just doesn't make sense, the 7.6%. There are no participation figures in this document. I couldn't find I couldn't find it online. What I'm led to understand is Club Rugby 15's participation is in Australia is substantially left less than 100,000 participants. So um, if we think we can make a sustainable code on, you know, less than 100,000 people, even if you increase that 10, 20, 25%, you're only barely getting to 100,000 participants. So Club 15, traditional, traditional element of the game, and Matt, you said it well when you said you know, you, you kept saying we, 
We, which is bang on. That's us. We're white, 45-year-old, maybe not Hugh, um, you know, middle-class men who all went to private schools. That is the we that's involved here. Australian rugby, as all sports now, are broadening their spectrum. I worked within the cricket industry probably about 10 years ago, and Cricket Australia started this. When they took over, they wanted to control every element of cricket. So they took over indoor cricket to start with. Indoor cricket was the poor bastard son of cricket. No one wanted to, to deal with each other. Coaches said that they were a hindrance on, on each discipline. And then Cricket Australia came and said, no, nope, it's cricket. We want to control the brand that is Cricket Australia. What did it give them? Gave them another 200,000 participants across the country that they could claim as their own without doing anything. Uh, they wanted to go to as far as, uh, as, uh, as registering beach cricket as one of their domains. We've seen it with the NRL, who have taken Touch Rugby underneath their, underneath their wing and become a, uh, an affiliated organisation of Rugby League. What does that mean? All of a sudden, their female participation numbers have boomed on the back of Touch Rugby particularly. But it also means uh, their participation numbers across the, across the country are huge. What does that mean again? It means primarily they're, they're meeting uh, Australian Sports Federation targets, they're meeting those targets better from gender equity but also participation, opens up for more grants, um, builds a stronger case to the federal government for any sort of support around facility development, development officer type of things, the the, uh, the foreign diplomacy programs, you see that all the money they're sending in, spending in Papua New Guinea, Fiji, the Pacific Islands, that's all through federal government money on the basis of uh, NRL strategy. We've seen it uh, with all these codes and now rugby are trying to do it, this, do it themselves. I was under the impression that touch football wanted to align themselves with rugby union but rugby league got in there first so rugby union has now set up the fever sevens um you're bang on that 15s is always the traditional code matt and i think it will be i think the rugby league world cup, sorry the rugby world cup and the Bledisloe cup nothing will stir my emotions more than those events but i tell you what i i do dig sevens i was watching it on the weekend with the 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 aussie men uh particularly and there was a moment of play that ed jenkins did i think uh, I forget which game. It might have been the... the chased pom- down the Fijis, the Fijian? Well, I, I, I don't know if it was even that. I think it was one of the earlier games right. um, when... Uh, it might have been Fiji, in fact. Um, yeah, so I think Stadard missed a tackle. He chased him down. Beautiful yeah. one-on-one tackle. Got to his feet. Got the turnover. Spun it way out. And I think, you know, Barry uh, uh, Alavail uh, scored the try. Barry, Alan Alavail scored the try. And to me, that was just rugby skill in its finest element. And that's what Sevens Rugby gives me, to be honest. It, it, it is the very exact, you know, it's, you say it's a different game, I don't see it. Show me T20 cricket, I couldn't give a fuck. But give me test cricket, I love every element of it. You know, that is cricket to me. T20 is nothing like cricket to me. Sevens is, I, I respect what you're saying, it is a different sport, but to me it is still rugby. These are players who are displaying the same skills, probably under greater pressure because it's the one-on-one stuff. I, I think, I, you know, I can't wait for the Olympic Games and the Olympic, you know, um, the Sevens program and the Commonwealth Games beyond that. I think it's fantastic. So let's talk broad, broadly about this strategy and these numbers. And you're right. So the, with the Club 15's down. We're talking about 80, 85, 90 grand, 90,000 participants in club. But we keep coming up with this 706,000 participants. And I experienced this with, with Queensland Rugby. And, and I think the Reds were actually at the forefront. And this is coming from an organisation that was led by an AFL, uh, a man with AFL background. The Reds were at the forefront of this 
I don't want to call it creative counting, but there was no doubt their expanse from a membership perspective was taken quite liberally in terms of, of what those numbers meant. But it meant a lot for them, and, and, and the leadership team would, would make this case. It is about how many people we touch with rugby these days. And 706,000, and, and they make the case here that um, 438 of those, 438,000 of those were purely through promotional experiences. So it might have been a one-day um, come-and-try day. Mm-hmm. Might have been a, 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 you know, a, a school that they have rugby week. It might have been that. So that is, you know, that's more than half of that 706,000 is just 438,000. But they are girls, boys who are six to whatever who are getting this contact with rugby. You know, it's small numbers compared to AFL and their coming tries and the, the AFL kick, but that's a starting. 267,000 of those uh, people have just played five games. All they have to do is play five games of competition. At the game at the QAU, we'd get these schools entering teams in a, in a five-week Ballymore Cup competition. It'd be the only rugby they'd play. But those guys were getting contact with rugby, and they were league backgrounds, all these sorts of guys. They're getting the chance to play a bit of rugby. They're playing it on Ballymore Main Stadium. That's their feel. You know, it, it, it's not they're not flying onto club program straight away, or at least I don't know what their outcomes that may have been. But that's they're getting this contact with rugby. Then we've got the databases. Then all of a sudden we've got building the numbers, and all of a sudden we're talking to the federal government and saying, look, we've got three quarters of a million. We're going to have a million in two years. People participants across the country, of which thirty percent, forty percent of those are going to be women. Start talking to us. You know, fifteen percent are indigenous. This is what we've got to do. This is about building the case. So you're right. Club numbers. You know, club is a stagnant competition. I don't think we're going to grow that from a fifteen perspective. Yeah, we might grow but, ten. 15%. Okay. And, and this is the bit where, I mean, this is obviously tonight is a night for soliloquies. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that was a pretty good tee off there, Ridge, I've got to say. Um, <laughs> look, I, I'm not, so this is this thing of, I don't think it's either or, I think it's an as well as. Mm. So this is the, the idea that, I, I, I'm not arguing against that we shouldn't do better with Viva 7s and we shouldn't do stuff with 7s. I, 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 you know, I'm not poo-pooing it. My problem, and this is where, we you know in the stoush we had a few weeks ago about the AAU stands with clubs, um, is um, if you read through that, and Q, apart from that soundbite that you read out, you go through that, and I see the only reference I see to club is that we're going to give them Viva 7s and 7s, and they're going to make money out of it. Basically, the tone that I, everything I read through that, that strategy document gives up on club rugby. I see very little. Let me give you an example. England, out of its World Cup bonus, is putting £50 million pounds that's a hundred million bucks into grassroots rugby in england it's putting 1000 um synthetic pitches down um which in england is in pretty important because yeah. places are bog for most of the year or frozen so you know now look that would look different in australia whatever that the, the clubs would need and this whole idea of oh you can't do stuff with club rugby because they're just going to piss it up against the wall is yes you can you can go in and you can build them clubhouses or you can make facilities or you can do – you can find ways to spend money if you prioritise it. Now, I realise we don't have – I mean, England turns over 200 million, 220 million pounds it turned over um, in, in, in 2015. And obviously it had a World Cup year and everything else like that. It's banking 20 million quid in profit. So I, I get there's been a different situation. But I ask, what do we do when we see a surplus of money? Um, and it doesn't go and, – and so I know Hugh makes the point that, you know, shoot and premier isn't subbies, for example. I'm with him. 
like you know, I'm, I do also think club rugby in a broader sense, but obviously within club rugby, you know, premiership in any state is to, is the top, you know, is the pinnacle of, of of that club rugby. And I can't help but think that years ago the AU turned around and said, "This is just too hard, right? You know, we can't control this." And that's where that's partly where the NRC comes from. Um, is to say, ah, oh, better off us doing something rather than going with what they've got. And as long as you're doing that, then you know that that bottom tier and is sort of stagnating. And look, as a marketer, I look at that, and I remember having look. Here's my name. Here's, here's my name drop. You. Um, oh, good. For, for I was the thing. There for a second. We would go through a whole podcast <laughs> that having one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Was it um, a, a few years back before I left the UK? I managed to swindle a beer with Brett Gosper over in Dublin, and he he was just into the uh, into the into the role, and he was talking about his vision for the brand of World Rugby, and it was all about character. 15s uh, rugby and 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 uh, and 15s forms a special type of character, and part of that is about you know having all the different types of body shapes for different people and a different role for everybody and all these and all these sorts of things. And I think there are so many parts of even you know club rugby as well, which it's not looking to be rejuvenated; it's looking to be sidelined, and it's looking to say, oh God, the sooner we can cut these jokers out. Um, the, the better. And if we can put NRC in there, we will. Um, if we can put our own development people in, in Western Sydney rather than having to put money to Parramatta or Penrith or whatever else it'll be, we will. Um, and if you look at where they'll actually put their money, which isn't in the strategic plan but is in the document that we managed to get our hands on, I mean, it's paltry compared to what's going back into, into pro rugby. So that's my problem. It's not the case of you – know, I, you know, I don't poo-poo Reg the idea of having more participation, although – I'll tee off on that for a second, which is I'm okay with that until you start playing funny numbers, right? So if the idea is I want to – They've always played funny numbers. Well, exactly. But, but see, what happens is – this is the bit I was going to go back and have a look at the last ones to see. Well, what counted as a, as participation you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? Was it you know, five games, four games, eight games, ten games? Or was it belonging to a club? What was it? Um, so it's when they start just changing those goalposts. You know, that's when I um, have a big, big problem with that stuff. But the underlying idea behind it, which is that you would measure that we want to get to more and more people, well, you know, I'm, I'm okay with I'm okay with that. But my bigger thing here is, yep, fine, Viva Sevens, fine, and everyone, you know, I think most unions are doing something like that. Fine that you want to boost Sevens, although I don't think we can kid ourselves. I mean, you know, that what well, we just can't kid ourselves that that's feeding set that's feeding 15s because it leaves out half the team mate i'll dispute that can i just come back there quickly and the qau did this well from a development pathway is they saw sevens as a key entry level for the people they missed in those teenage years so you're not going to get new people coming to the game you may you know coming playing sort of as 15 year olds working into the game but mm. that was an avenue to engage with some of those league schools you know afl players all that sort of stuff getting new players into the game three seven so just to let you know that was a, a legitimate strategy they pushed mm. so look all i'm saying is um i'm looking when i look in there and hugh maybe you can come back on this but when i had a look at that strategy document apart from a couple of sound bites and when we actually looked at where they're going to put their money and when we've looked at everything that's been in the in the press about how pulver obviously views premier club rugby for example i see very little action in terms of how apart from elite pathways that we're really trying to make 15s work rather than rather than give up and say ah it's shot and kind of wave your hand over because i'll give you for an example club rugby in england you know, just as much as a nanny state here, people are just as pressured and everything else, booming. And I'm not just talking about pro. 
Um, it's, it's doing really, really well. Surprise, surprise, they're also pumping loads of money into it. So, I mean, I don't accept that it's just, oh, well, it's just modern, it's just modern sport and no one wants to play contact anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, to come back on that, again, I, you keep sort of putting these words in the ARU's mouth that, or they're waving the white flag about 15s. Well, that, no, again, they're saying that 15s and club rugby is at the heart of Australia. I can, I can write, I can write that onto a PDF as well. If, only if it was a PDF. Can we just talk for a moment how shit these documents are? Yeah, they're terrible. <laughs> yes, yes. God, who needs a document reader anymore? I just can't believe that they still do this. If anyone knows, if you want to go and read it, by the way, you can't just download a PDF. You have to go into some strange document reader. Oh, we've been moaning about it all day. Look, all I'm saying is I can type that into a document as well. It's when I look at the numbers and when I look at what they actually say behind closed doors, and that's document yeah. that, that they said, well, basically, guys, unless it's our own development office, you know, offices there, we're kind of pulling the plug. Well, on that point, I think we should probably hold off a little bit because since they released that initial document we saw with the breakdowns and all of those things were said, all hell's broken loose. And, you know, as we spoke about a few weeks ago, they're talking behind closed doors about something. And at this point, Brett Patworth and co have been silent still on this plan today. So I'm not saying necessarily that, that anything's changed, but I think there's a chance that something might have. And the the plan today didn't give us any clue either way. But you know, we 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 might hear in a few days' time that hopefully it might have been resolved. And I don't know, I don't know. But back to back to the initial point. I mean, look, 15s, I suppose when you drill down into it, and, and there's some some really big questions here that govern the everything around what we do with this game and why we do it, and and. What's the point of playing numbers? You know, we want as many people playing the game as possible, but in what form? You know, does everyone have to play 15s? And, you know, what does subbies mean to the game? You know, they're not playing for the Wallabies. They're, you know, they're not really financially contributing to the game. I mean, I'm a subbies player and I don't contribute to the ARU bottom line. I pay my own, you know, until this year when they had a participation levy. But normally I, you, I pay my own fees, I pay my own insurance, and that's it, you know, that... The, I make no contribution to the greater game financially. I'm just a number on the page. Um, and that ultimately is meaningless at the end of the day. So look, when it comes back to I think the AI you are looking at and saying, where can we get the best bang for our buck in terms of participation? And that is, I think what they've decided is, let's go into schools and let's give these development officers, hire more of them and give them this curriculum to go into schools and say we've got three weeks and pitch it to public schools as we're going to give you three weeks of great things to do with your kids. They're going to play rugby. They're going to love it. They're going to play sevens. They're going to play everything. We'll have a player come down, all that sort of jazz. And they, and they can control that and they can get you know uh, the best number of kids playing the game in that sense than the, compared to what they can do at, at potentially club level. I hope they still invest in clubs, but sometimes money's not the answer too. I mean, I look at my subbies club that's dying. And if the AU came to the door and knocked and said, we want to give you 50 grand, we wouldn't know what to do with it. It's still, it wouldn't really solve our problems. We might, you know, cut fees a bit, but ultimately the problems that are, we just find it so hard to get people to come and lace on, lace up their boots on a Saturday and, and, you know, short of paying them all $500 each, it's not going to happen. So I don't know. It's such, you know, we've talked for a half an hour on it now, it seems, and We've all had our rants and stuff, and it's just such a huge, complex problem, and and it shows you the enormity of what the hour you have to deal with. In that they've got you know professional grassroots, all with greatly differing needs, and 
you know, so much pressure on them at all times. And look, you know, we, 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 we're critical of them and sometimes for good reasons. But look, I, I think they've kind of seemed to be going in the right direction here. It's, it's hard to tell until stuff starts to happen. But I don't know. It's, they're making some good noises, some bad noises. They're losing money, but the Wallabies are doing well. I don't know. I don't know what you think about it. All. It, it it's interesting. Even the uh, you talk about the ARU uh, and the engagement with Papworth and the like. I know actually there was a bit of a um, a tour of the Brisbane Premier clubs just within the last couple of weeks of the ARU board or representatives of not even Pulver and the exec. It was Paul McLean and the chairman um, coming up to chat to some of the the big QPR clubs up here. Um, just about how they're travelling and what they need and so on. So it's interesting that engagement's happening. Uh, you know, we, we won't go too much longer and we'll let everyone else have, have a final stay, say, but just on even those participation numbers in the club and the concept that keeps ringing true in my head, because I've heard it in a couple of sources now and I think it was one of the – the theory was it was one of the factors that blew out the QAU budget, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably relevant here, is those decreased numbers in the clubs – and how it was linked back to the registration system and the, the subs payment, the new sort of uh, individual registration fees that had to be paid, paid last year. And one, not suggesting that it was because of those fees that people dropped off playing, that may have been a factor, but more is that we are final getting real figures of what people are playing the game. So from what I'm led to believe or what the theory some people have said is that the QOU, a big chunk of the QOU budget blowout was because they finally had real numbers people paying real money for the real numbers um, of who are actually playing the games. And they found out it was nowhere near what they thought it was. Um, and I get that feeling that this was the case here too. So once they had the real numbers tied to the real payments, um, the actual figures were not near what it was they thought they had previously. But how, that, how does that blow out their budget though? Because they set their budget on anticipated revenue. Right. So we, we think we've got this many players. That'll bring us this money figure. Whoops, we've got 1,500 left mm. times blow on. That means, you know, a million and a half bucks or something like that. Yeah. Well, can I just go back to um, a point that you made, though, Hugh? And this is a, I think this is an important one, though, is that you were saying, well, look, what do I add to Australian rugby, right? So I trundle out for Masabi's team. Um, and if hey, I'm hey, in... Hey, hey, I sprint out. <laughs> you, you bound out for yourself. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, you're financially neutral in that sense, right? So the Australian Rugby Union hasn't managed to make money off you <laughs> as you're doing that. A, I find that kind of interesting that the idea, the, the idea that the AOU is a tax man of people playing rugby. Um, but even then, like, well, what value are you? Well, look at you. I mean, look at – now, I know you're a bit of an odd case, but, you know, look at the effort that you put into – um, keeping rugby alive you're in your interest going to matches and as it turns out you're an extreme account case because you managed to engage with thousands of people about it through our website and social media and everything else but even if I took that out of it you know the amount of money that you put in through whether it's Foxtel subs whether it's um, going to matches whether it's merchandise you know all the other things that you do and I bet you your subbies mates do and you'll do that throughout your life and you're likely if you have kids you'd probably push them in that direction as well now Talk about that in terms of value for the ARU, or not the ARU, for rugby in Australia. Yeah. Because um, the ARU is a body that should be, you know, that's supposed to be administering that. So you, you start to ask yourself, what's these guys' job? Is it to get the consultants in to redefine what rugby is and say, you know what, I can take the term rugby and I can make it mean something else. I can make it mean people running around with the Viva Sevens shirt on and call that rugby just as much as I can call anything else because I can put whatever I want on a PowerPoint slide and put some numbers behind it. What really is rugby and who really is it for? So I look at your value versus 
I mean, look, fine. Some kid who gets to run around for a few weeks a year, they're calling it rugby. They don't really know the difference. It looks like as much league as it does to, to union, you know, it's touch. Um, and we say, and we try and kid ourselves that that's rugby union. But look, you know, if there's no one to, you know, unless they find themselves into some elite pathway, they don't play subbies. They don't actually get into what you and I know as rugby. They don't have an experience that keeps them there for years. And if they don't happen to be some fast kid with a step, like most of us, and, and you know, who may, maybe would have ended up in a Ford pack, they're not going to have a glittering career in sevens. So w- what happens? And what happens then 15 years time, 20 years time, you don't, you know, people laugh at the rusted ons as I, as you are, Hugh, as we are, and, and describe that. And I take your point, um, Reg, that we tend to be of a, a certain type. I'm all for that being broadened out. What I'm saying is you need to take, you know, how do you get those people inculcated in what rugby is? Because that's what sustains it. And I, I'm really not sold yet that it's on somebody who's had a participation experience, um, if it doesn't capture them in something. And that's why I come back to the clubs bit. What are they being captured into? And don't tell me that it's a, a performance pathway because that's going to be for very few people. Yeah. Um, okay. you know. but, but, I mean, look, that's a really good point, Matt. I mean, that, that's a great point. I suppose my only counter that, and not even to disagree, but is to say it's one thing to say that and have those people, but my club and subbies generally, I mean, certainly in all of my time, and I've seen it from – not even the heights, but, you know, seen it decline over the past eight or nine years. But the ARU have never really put money into subbies. It's always been something that's just kind of self-sustained. Yep. Yep. And now it's not anymore. Yep. And so that is, that's where the challenge is. And, and you know, but you put your hands, but, but, you, but you put your hands in the air and say, so that's nobody's fault. And I say, yes, it is. It's the Australian, you know, you've got to look at the Australian rugby because we, we, we flip it the other way around and we look at Auskick and we look at all these other codes and go, God, aren't they smart? They've managed to build it because they've been investing for years and they've turned it into this thing and they put money into clubs and they have good membership programs and all these sorts of things. And we, and we, we laud them and then we say they're brilliant at it. Um, you know, we look at the Kiwis, look at everybody else. But then we somehow you can turn around and say, oh, but it's not the ARU's fault. Rugby just sucks in Australia. And I go, no, no, oh. mate. If you look at subbies, which hasn't had a bloody dime, and you look at club, which is going to get the same, but then you look at what money goes into professional, and now you look at them and invent new ways of defining what rugby is, and I go, look, I think we're missing the bleeding obvious. Um, and your point is, well, Matt, I think it might be a bit late. I think you could be right, but it doesn't, it's not going to stop me from saying those guys stuffed, have stuffed it for years and continue to. Yeah, I think there's a broad move, though. Like, they're not lying when they say people aren't doing, you know, the people above the age of 18 are less likely to play participation sport. That Those figures are borne out across league, across AFL, especially in contacts. There's no sport of the booming in, in that in that phrase. Again, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I think where we are now, and, and rugby doesn't exist in isolation in that seniors, seniors space where you know people aren't leaving rugby. All my, all my mates that used to play subbies, they aren't playing league now. They aren't playing AFL. They're not playing anything. They're playing, you know, Maybe twenty twenty park cricket on a Sunday, something that takes you know one one to two hours. They might play a bit of touch on a Wednesday. Like, yeah. so you're saying it's fucking Gen Y? It's, yeah, it's, all, it's as, Gen as with as with every problem <laughs> in the world, it's millennials that I think are the real root of it. Yes. <laughs> all right. Look, I'll get off my soapbox. 
Fox. Yeah, look, there's, there's plenty more. There's plenty more I could say, but I think we probably need to move on. Can I just touch on one final, final thing that was in the, I think it was in the annual report. They had just a one page on just random topics through, and what was on broadcasting? And the, are you going to Lord Fox Sports? Yeah, fair enough, but they talk about um, Channel 10 and ABC Grandstand and Channel 9 with the Rugby World Cup and how great they were. Not one mention of green and gold rugby, Matt. I'm, I'm gobsmacked, mate. There must be a typo. What are we doing for this game? <laughs> no, and instead, um, yeah, I think they're going to try and yeah launch their own version. Yeah, yeah. Gold and green rugby. Thank, thanks, ARU. <laughs> um, I also see one of their strategic goals is to make 250 grand from the digital space um, as well. So uh, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, look, let's move on um, because this is what I this is my main topic of conversation tonight. Was going to be the Reds uh, win over the Highlanders. Uh, we'll week. have to. We've already spent too much time talking about that. We'll move on. Let's go Waratahs this weekend. <laughs> yeah, the Reds obviously getting up uh, twenty eight twenty seven. I guess the question we wanted to ask was um, uh, was was this is this a good thing for the Reds? Do we read that as a positive? They, you know, sensational that first half, or was it a blip because their second half was so dire? Uh, Hugh, what's your reading? Reg, did you ever watch the room of those ads? I think it was for Booper or some insurance firm, and the, it was it was meet your healthier you, and it was <laughs> someone sitting in a cafe. Yep, I felt yep. like that was what we were watching the rugby version of that, where yep. the first half was this fit firing twenty four year old or whatever it was, and the second <laughs> half was this sort of chain smoking, you know, fat person. Um, and I, I think it was basically the first half was what we all love the Reds to be and we know they can be. And the second half was probably a bit closer to where they are. Um, and they got the win, though. I mean, it was it was fantastic. I mean, talking about – I haven't had that sort of heart-pounding sort of thrill in the last five minutes of a game for since the World Cup. I, yeah. you know, I, I was really on the edge of my seat. And, um, look, it, it, they, that first half – you know, look, the Highlanders fell off a lot of tackles and let the Reds um, – do you know do their thing but the reds needed that they needed someone to let them get into the game and let them get into their stride and all of a sudden then all of a sudden the passes started sticking in the offloads and samu Karevi was tiptoeing down the sideline and all of these little one percenters mm. were, 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 were coming off in these low percentage plays the the, the passes were sticking it, it, it was great and look the second half as you often see um it's a bit like what we saw with the waratahs and the rebels and the waratahs and the highlanders where once you get to that 25-point margin, it is almost dangerous for a team because mm. the, the team behind knows that they can't settle for penalty goals and they know they have to chance their arm at every opportunity. So it almost frees the shackles. And for a team like the Highlanders, that's really dangerous. And mm. so all of a sudden, one try becomes two, two become three, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're within a score. And, and the Reds tried to close it out as best they could and, and, and in the end they probably need to keep playing a bit more rugby but mm. you know so many positives to come away from that and they were building for, to that for a few weeks and, and I can't help thinking it's 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 a it's a great shot on the arm and they're probably going to have the shit kicked out of them by the Bulls in Pretoria <laughs> but, but you know still to give the crowd that it was just the perfect tonic for what the Reds have been doing this season Look, luckily, luckily, Australian, just, luckily Australian crowds don't watch uh, um, midnight games of rugby in the South African games will go unnoticed and will turn up like too never happened. yeah exactly <laughs> go on Matt what are your thoughts but I was going to say my analogy was it's like um, like one of those Indiana Jones movies when someone gets halfway out on the really on a rope bridge and then someone says don't look down and they do <laughs> yeah uh, 
that's what sort of happened because the Reds were like, oh, yeah, 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 this is flying. And then come halftime, they kind of went, oh, shit. Um, The bit that seemed to happen to me, which was really ironic because everyone said at halftime in the interviews, we just need to keep playing. Whatever we do, we just need to keep playing. And then clearly someone said, kick the shit out of the ball um, to Frisbee. And if they didn't say it to Frisbee, then they should have told him to stop it um, because he just went into box-kicking mayhem. Um, in the second half, I, maybe I'll pull out some if I can find them some stats um, while we're talking. But I mean, that was crazy. Even Liam Gill seemed to have the instruction, which was, mate, if you get half the chance, hoof it down the other end. Um, which, when you're kicking to you know the Highlanders back three, never seems to be a, a great. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but because um, they're either going to rain it back down on you or, or run it back one way or the other. Look, I just thought there was some fantastic performances. They came out. Um, just really gunning. I mean, Reg. I mean, maybe we'll move into this. Um, oh, do you want to do you want to keep away from performances for a second? Keep talking. No, no, we'll, we'll go performances because it's, it's all relevant. Yep. Well, look, I, there were the headline ones. Everyone's going to rave about. I loved your phrase. You 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 coined the Gilfer. <laughs> um, that was a cracker. But the a guy that you mentioned, um, which I can, which um, is it Henrik or Heinrich Chewy? Henrik Chewy, yeah. Oh my God, he was brilliant. Mate, I mean, but he's been doing it all season. We saw a little glimpse of it last year in the last couple of games he comes back. I just shake my head. I don't know how he gets over the advantage line or gets through the, the, the line sometimes. He, he's just yeah. he's just so adept at it. Yeah, and it seems to be, especially in traffic, he does it. Yeah. Like he, he picks his way around the you know through that sort of transition zone or just around the edge of the ruck time after time. And they're really golden meters, you know, because, you know, all of a sudden the whole pack's in the wrong place and you're over and, you know, you, you know it generates penalties or space, all sorts of stuff. No, I thought he was abs- – and he was getting serious meters as he did it. I thought in the first half he was a revelation to me. Um, and I, I actually thought to a large degree he was – because then Gil would play off the side of that. Yep, and, yep. And, then, and, then, and then you've got Karevi – you know, with a backpedaling defence. And, and, and there's the thing, right? So, you know, the Highlanders love that line speed. Well, if you've got a guy who's jogging past it, um, yeah. all of a sudden they're on the back foot and then Karevi's running onto the ball and da 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 you know, it, just, it all kind of just gets going. And anyway, I, I thought they got that going in the first half and then just <laughs> just forgot about it in the second. Yeah, yeah. look, Chewie's unbelievable. And the rumours are that we'll, we'll re-sign him for another year. Obviously, he's served his two-year window as a Japanese international and that should be enough. But I think the yeah, ad, you're going to look at that pretty leniently considering we didn't have him at all last year or yeah, a few half games towards the end of the year after... A, um, a broken limb, so we might have them ne- again next year. But we haven't had a, a meter-gaining um, uh, forward like that, you know, since Kefi. Like, I, I'll even discount Samu and, and Higginbotham because they did it out wide. Chewing mm. goes straight through the guts, and that makes all the difference, particularly, as you say, when you've got Gill on the back of it can take it further. And then Karevi, who was un- – and who forgot – that he could play like that, that mm. he wasn't just, a, wasn't just a bash and barge guy, but he has a step, he has an offload, and by all reports, and I know I questioned it, people saying that was the impact of Michael Chica. For more reports, Chica absolutely let loose and Karevi, tore paint off the walls um, at their little one-on-one at Cockatoo Island and said, mate, you know, you shouldn't even be playing in the Reds, you shouldn't even be in the Reds team at the moment, so you're, you're lucky you're here sort of thing. Um, and, and look, it worked because he was unbelievable. Wow. The master. The pop exactly. master. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. look, fantastic win for the Reds. And, and as uh, Hugh mentioned, they're off to saddle. They're in South Africa at the moment, and they'll take on the Bulls this weekend at Loftus. Uh, well, I think we've only ever won once in Pretoria. So, um, 
we'll see how we go there. Um, okay, next question. Oh, look, the, the sevens, Gaga's favourite. The um, <laughs> We had um, the men's and women's playing on the weekend. The women took out the competition in Atlanta, the uh, the third series in a row after Dubai and Sao Paulo that they've won. They beat uh, New Zealand in the final this time. Uh, went down in one game for England, but they, they've won the World Series again, which is a great effort because they were missing key players again, um, uh, most particularly Elia Green, our, our little speedster out there, wasn't playing, and, and Shani Williams has obviously been injured. Nicole Beck was rested. So uh, that we brought in some young talent and still managed to do the job there. They and are then, machines. They are a fantastic team to watch, and, and I made every effort, and I watched this on the live stream. World Rugby actually do a really good job of covering the women's sevens. It's a shame Fox Sports didn't pick it up until the finals. But um, Emma Tonegado scored, uh, I think it was five tries in one game versus Colombia um, and scored, I think, ten for the tournament. She was fantastic. Charlotte Kaslick is just... There's a try we scored versus... It might have been Fiji, it might have been Colombia, where it was a simple two-on-one. She set up a break, got the ball back on the inside and then delivered... And I don't know if she's a left-hander, but running at full pelt, a left-to-right pass inside to Tonagate to score under the post. It was just brilliant skill. And I don't think there's many wallabies, you know, who can pass <laughs> that sort of precision at full speed. So great work by the women there. And then the men, obviously, in Hong Kong, which was an immense tournament and just looked completely nuts the whole time, as you'd expect, nice. uh, ended up coming fourth. So I think it was the uh, their last four tournaments every since Andy Friend took over. Um, we haven't finished less than fourth. And this was our this was probably our l- most disappointing tournament. We didn't look great with a number of injuries. Uh, Jesse, oh. sorry, Lewis Holland uh, missed out and, and Nick Cummins for what it's worth. But um, I, I guess the question is, is, is what does it mean for Rio, Hugh? What, what's your reading on this? You're a big sevens nut. Yeah, um, it's it's funny. Well, I'm a rugby fan, so I'm a sevens yeah, nut. Yeah, sorry, of course. It's a natural extension. Um, the... Uh, the Oh, look, I think it's positive. You know, sometimes you can tell a golf, to use a golf analogy, you can tell a golfer's in form when they have a bad day but still grind out a, a 71 or a 72, you know. And and that was the same thing with us in Hong Kong. We we really weren't firing that tournament. We lost key players, um, but we still managed to get to fourth, which, yep. you know, is, is a pretty good result. And I think we've now been in the semifinals four times in a row for the first time in about 10 years. Um, and, you know, we were missing, yeah, Louis Holland was a big loss and um, Nick Cummins did his ankle really early on in the piece and, and, and we no, had Henry a... Henry Hutchinson was pretty big. Henry Hutchinson and Tom Kingston were both late dropouts yeah. as well. So we had a few guys in there that were really inexperienced. Um, and, and, yeah, we, we, we managed to guts it out, a couple of really good wins against um, England, Argentina... Uh, and, um, yeah, look, we march on and I think we've now got that thing where we're putting ourselves in contention every week, you know, good or bad, we're getting to keep getting to that last four and in Rio, it's all you got to do, get to that last four and all of a sudden, you know, you win and you're in the gold medal game. Um, and, um, you know, you lose, you still got a shot at the bronze. So look, I think that's our aim and, and Louis Holland's out for a month, which is a bit worrying. Nick Cummins also out for a month too. And look, he... The word was he did his ankle on the first time he touched the ball. So we might have to cut him some slack on looking particularly slow um, (laughs) thereafter. But he did struggle um, and he did look like he he was really off the pace. So I don't know how early he did his ankle. But, I mean, there's worrying signs there. But 
still the guys like Ed Jenkins and Cameron Clark, the thing about bringing these third-party guys in has actually just shown how good our regular sort of tradesman sevens players are. And God, Ed Jenkins is just a marvel the way he can play like a big man one second in the, and but street away and, and sprint away and score a try um, the, the next minute. I mean, he, he is one of the real sort of um, unsung heroes of Australian rugby, um, one of the real quiet achievers, and I think... Um, I hope we get a medal in Rio just so he gets a moment. Yeah, I agree. I thought he was superb. He was, he was by far our best. Matt, did you watch much of it? Any impressions? Mate, tuned in for the Fiji game. There you go. Yep. All right. That's a good one, good one to watch. Yeah, just Look, to get, see us get absolutely built. Look, all, all I'll say on this one is, and I'll, I'll play the grump uh, about the sevens. Uh, I'm like, oh, that's unusual for this podcast. Uh, is just uh, look at the moment to me. It just looks like we need, you know, we need the top teams to have a bad day to beat them. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't feel like we're in a, in a, you know, in a straight, in a straight fight. Maybe the Saffirs, but the other two, uh, we're still a way away, surely. Yeah, yeah Fiji, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. that that's, yeah, that's I, I think you're right. Yep, mm. I think Fiji can sometimes, and I said it in the call, like and. Not that we're one of the top teams, but we are top tier, you know, fourth at the moment. They can make anyone look like schoolboys when they're, they're mm. on top of the game. So, mm. um, but, they, but they also can have bad days. They, they can, can lose to weird teams. Like, they just go off the board. Like us. So, We've beaten them a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, so men pushing it against those top three, but the ladies are all, uh, you know, they're, they're hot, hot for the, the, the gold medal in Rio, so we can't wait to see that. All right, we're almost there, guys. This last one, we we talked about Hendrik Chewy there, so that's a, a good one, Gags. But we want to talk about uh, our, I guess, the history of imports in uh, Super Rugby from from the Aussie teams, and and have a bit of a chat about who we reckon the best and worst were. Um, Matt, what's your thoughts? Well, uh, okay, so let's look, let's start uh, with the positives, huh? Hey? Yeah, should we start on the positives? So mine is um, my positive is probably Albie the Racist Dragon. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> I can't help but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, exactly. I can't oh. help. <laughs> I don't know where you're going. Sorry, go on. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You have to. It's a uh, flood of the Concords reference that one. Okay. But um, yeah, Albie Matthewson. I mean, he's just been a powerhouse. I, I think all of us are a bit like, oh, this guy seems to be on the other side of his Super Rugby career, and he just he keeps powering. He's a dynamo. He's um, supremely talented and I mean God knows where the force would be without him I think um, so yeah I think he's he's um, had an absolute cracker yeah t- talking of yep. unsung heroes he's really one of them I think we take for granted him over there and, and just how much you know he's really the only source of spark in in that team and has you know really kept them going for mm. what it seems like an attorney now it's probably only two or three years but yeah a real um yeah, a, a, a really good contributor to that team over a number of years. So that's a good one. I mean, mine, it's probably the obvious answer, but in terms of having an impact for the positive for a whole team and changing their, the way of play, it has to be Potgita, mm. um, Waratahs. I think that's, you know, he in, got every time he touched the ball, you just sort of leant forward and waited for something to happen. And the way he his attitude came in and changed the attitude of the players around him and, I think just such a key player in that Waratah's success, even if, yeah, look, he went off the boil some games and and, yeah. and fell away a little bit in the end in his form. But, geez, when he was good and he had some of those days smashing in a rucks and stuff, it just summed up everything that that Waratah's team came to be about and that physicality and that sort of um, 
hard ball running style. So that, that that's my submission. It was his second year. I think the I think he got softened by Bondi. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's happened to the best of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think Jackpot's a good call. My only one that would challenge it would be, and I'd have to go red, was Daniel Braid. And if you remember the impact yeah, that I was, Daniel I was, Braid... Yeah, I was close to saying Daniel Braid. Yes. Yeah. So he came along. I think uh, Phil Mooney got him out for last year for one year of the contract, and then Link had him for the following year for the, say, for the, the two years. And Braid was a real positive influence on that really young Reds team and gave him that sort of hardened edge. And that 2010 season in particular... Um, really taught them a bit of about professionalism and well, intelligence. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That <laughs> we saw um, come off in spades the next year. So, yeah, jackpot, absolutely. But I reckon Daniel Braid was pretty significant as well. Yeah. And, and can I just say, I actually went back and did it for each team. So for, for the Waratahs, jackpot, I agree. Daniel Braid for the Reds. Another back row for the Brumbies. I don't know if you recall back at uh, at the foundation year, a few years they had, uh, uh, I think it was Tongan Ippolito Fanukatao, who was yeah. um, a fantastic uh, number six. And uh, they had a, a lot of fancy players, but he just sort of suited that team perfectly. Um, Albie Mathewson was definitely my one for the force. Uh, and the Rebels, Smarty Ellison. So uh, he's still going at the moment. But although I reckon mm. Gareth Delve was a pretty good early yeah, signing for them as well. Good. So, yeah. Rick Somerville was good. The Rebels have had a few. I, th- I think um, mm. the, uh, Scott Fugglistle is a bit of an unsung hero down there too. I think he's done mm. a lot of good stuff. The problem um, is you can't, you can't pronounce his name, so you can't. Yeah. Steve, Steve Murphy over at the over at the. Yeah, floor, absolutely. Yep, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I went through. There's actually a few. I tried to, I tried to pull them up. The Force were the ones I couldn't quite get them all. Um, yeah, there's a lot of... We might mention a few of them in the next one. How about the worst ones? Okay, mm-hmm. I'll go back to the best ones. Reds have actually done pretty well. Jacob Rolini was at effectively, because he was a Fijian international. Yes. Daniel Braid, Adam Thompson, Andre Voss. Remember we had Andre Voss for a year? Yeah. Might right. not quite classify, because he hadn't played for the box yet, that yet mm. and he actually went on and was awesome. But he was very close to doing a Tion Strauss and hanging around and becoming an Aussie, which would have been awesome. We even had Peter Clahessy, the, the, the claw from Ireland, in the front row of a year. So... Playing yeah. around. Well, Bobus is knocking on the on the glass and just saying, "What about Goromaru?" Well, I think he leads us to our <laughs> next one, doesn't he? Let's talk. <laughs> well, about he was good. Hey, can we talk about that that up and under and, and smashing yeah. hit on, on the he arm? He timed that perfectly, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. yeah, one up and under. Yeah, well done. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, it's one more one more than I've done. It's super late. <laughs> Look, okay. I'm going to bring this down. Look, I mean, the Tars have had a few crackers. The Tars have got a talent at this, I think. Um, uh, and, you know, it's the Dud Root Award. Um, <laughs> the fact that his name was Root was brilliant. Yeah, um, Hendrik, and, Hendrik Root. Um, so, yeah, but look, I, the guy that – and the reason why I guess I kind of – because I'm just marvelling at the impact this guy has had. Um, what are we in round four? What do we, you know, and there's only, the Tars have only played four rounds or whatever it is, four or five rounds, and he's managed to probably come close to losing two matches, maybe three. Um, and that's, that's a big one. I mean, clearly he hasn't, but I mean, he's had an impact on it, and it's got to be Angus Tarvo. I mean, um, for the Tars, it's just, um, I don't know what to say. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the, first of all, we were just like, oh, he looks like a big fella. He should be, you know, see how his scrumming goes. He's going to be a replacement for Kep, who obviously they've gone scouring the world to find the next one. And it turned out that was a disaster. Um, and did Ben Robinson recommend him? And Ben Robinson, they asked Ben Robinson. He said, yeah, he's a great scrummer. Oh, my God. And then so that was a, just a complete disaster. And then who's the, oh, who was the match where he came out and gave away four straight penalties? 
Um, yeah. was, it, was it the Brumbies? Brumbies. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that was like, oh, my God. So then we chased that, that first half. And then uh, the Highlanders, um, you know, goes out and completely misses, you know, two first oh, two, up tackles. Yeah. Rebels. Uh, yeah. Rebels, sorry, and 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 waves two tries through. I mean, I just you know with the with the dud roots of the world, it was kind of like was he even on the field? The, the problem with yeah, well, well, the problem the, with Harvow is you know he's on the field, yeah, because he's 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 destroying the Tars. It's just been an absolute shocker. I think you have got to split this worst in two because I mean the the dud roots. That's one thing. I mean, he, he came here. I don't think he ever got on the field, or if he did, it was for seven seconds. Yeah, a little bit of a bit. He was this yeah, raw yeah. prospect that we talked up, but I mean. Ultimately, he was. A, you know, it's one thing to be a total fizzer, and then look, if you're going to foul, yeah, he just clearly wasn't up to it. I think, yeah, t- the Tarvos, the, the ones that come over with promise and just fail to deliver. The other one, and look, I don't have a huge uh, offering on this, and, and it's what Bobus has just suggested. Actually, it's, it's Sosanisi at the Waratahs. Mate, and, he was a one cap all back. That was the thing. He came over. He was a capped all back outside back, and he was going to be this flying. Winger, you know, in the Sivivatu mould that was going to change the Waratahs, and and he just from the from the very earliest moments, it was just clear that he just was well past his best, um, and he kind of battled on there for a year, and and you know, in the end, he scored a couple of tries, and he wasn't he was serviceable, you know, he he wasn't great, but as a third stringer, he was pretty decent, um, but in the end, not even close to delivering on any of the sort of hype that had sort of uh, surrounded him when he announced his arrival. Well, I had dud root, but going on the Anissi band, you know, line of thinking is Sorel Pretorius. I mean, I remember he had yeah, that, that year with yeah. the year with the Cheaters or whatever it was, and he scored like a thousand tries that year, and then left there to come to the Tars and thought, yeah. God, you know, he's going to be behind this awesome pack, and he's going to have this yeah. back. He's going to tear it up, and then it was just not. And well, then well, went back home. Well, he played games. Can I interrupt? Yep. He was man of the match in his first game. I remember because oh, it was okay. against the yep. Reds at um, ANZ Stadium, and I'm pretty sure it was that game where um, Dom Shipley scored a try after the oh, Sirens okay, yep. to win. Um, and that's the man of the match 20 minutes before full time, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and it was Sarah Pretorius because he started out pretty well, and then it kind of became apparent in the next in the sort of weeks after that that he just couldn't pass. Mm. Or certainly not to the level of what the Waratahs needed, and that maybe his sort of style was better with the Cheetahs, where it was just hear him, scare him anyway, and they just threw the ball wherever. Um, yeah, that was that was a tough one, old Sarah Pretorius. That one. Yeah. But then he went back and did well again. So um, yeah. he's mine. So the Reds, I've gone with Goromaru, absolutely. Uh, yeah. The Br- Brumbies, um, they had great success with Patricio Noriega, so he wasn't it, but. They tried to replicate that again with Omar Hassan, who was another Argentine yeah. front row, who never quite got them off the ground. Uh, the Brumbies are another one who sort of recruited pretty well, uh, other than a couple of sort of no-name South Africans who, who didn't quite get up. Um, the force, tie there, I reckon, between a couple of fly halves, Willie Rippier and Andre Pretorius. Oh, yeah. Oh, Rippier. yeah. Classic. Yeah, yeah. And well, um, at least one uh, of our other, other nominees of stolen from the team. Yeah, exactly right. And, and then the Rebels, that's an easy one, Daddy Cipriani. Oh, God. Guys are full like on nuts. Yeah, I'm not sure there is, but I just thought for what yeah, he did you have to in, say in establishing you have to. a culture of the place, yeah. Yeah, no, and from what I've heard, he was pretty much the core of everything that was evil. Oh, God, that, yeah. That, that was going on. I Just the stories I've heard was he's just a full-on nutcase, that guy. So, anyway. 
Good luck to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to him somewhere else. Hello yeah. to Danny. If you're listening. At, 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 at Wasps, where Kirtley could be off to. That's, that'd be a great reunion, that yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, that, a little bit of levity to, to end a, a, a long um, podcast with a, a little bit of intensity early on. So, uh, look, Super Rugby Games this weekend. We should mention we're heading round eight. Crusaders taking on the Jaguars. The Rebels host the Hurricanes. Guys, quick ones. Matt, what do you think? The Rebels, can, can they get up? Well, you said hosting the Hurricanes. Rebels hosting the Hurricanes. Well, look, if they can beat the Waratahs, they can beat anyone, mate. Oh, clearly. Same with you, Hugh. Oh, big game for the Rebels. Big oh, game. Season-defining. They win this. Five and two. Yeah. Hello. Happy days. Let's go. It's, it's, big, big, it's big, big for the Australian. Big for the Australian conference, in fact. Cheetahs. Yeah. Uh, Cheetahs hosting the, the Sunwolves, so the Rebels Hurricane, so that's on Friday night. Blues hosting the Sharks, then the Waratahs host the Brumbies um, on Saturday night uh, at Alliance. Alliance. Uh, confident there, boys. Brumbies obviously had a, a big week. We should recognise Itavir uh, as had to retire early due to heart oh, problems, which yeah. is, was just terribly sad. We're all big fans of it is up here at Green mm. Gold, so that was terrible for him but I've got no doubt that Brumby's uh, community will rally around him big time. Mm. But, I mean, look, t- talking about uh, this, this Brumby's match, yeah, you, yeah, Tars, you can't be so- sure of anything anymore. Um, but then having Pocock out, um, yeah, you know, which, uh, look, I, I still, well, we talked about it last time, I, I still don't think, the more I look at that, I, I still don't think it was deliberate. But anyway, he's gone. Um, I think that pulls him back a bit, but I just think they're going to have too much organisation for the Tars and I think they're going to be a bit stung so I'd have to go with the, the Brumbies on this one Yeah, it's interesting what their back row will be because Jared Butler might be out injured too so we'll see how that all drops out um, Hugh, thoughts? Oh, I want my Tars to win this but I just feel like the Brumbies are going to be storing up some hurt after their loss of the Chiefs a few weeks ago and they're mm. going to unleash it on the Waratahs and I think they'll win by 15 points I, 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 Look, they've got a lot to prove They've got a lot to prove the Brumbies, and and I think they'll uh, I think they'll do it. Unfortunately, yeah, I think the Brumbies might do it too. I think they they rise from these occasions, and then uh, the Bulls host the Reds. Pretoria, uh, Hugh, do you give us any chance? The Reds over there, Loftus. No, no chance. No, all right, <laughs> Matt. I like I like your statements. What was your statement on the Reds last week in the Highlanders? Oh yeah, well, that's right. I'm, I'm emulating Matt there with saying there's no chance. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think they're a chance, but they'll put up a good fight. But I don't think they're a chance. Yeah, look, I, I think you guys don't have enough faith in the Reds, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they should. They, I think this one's comfortably in the bag. <laughs> good to hear. I'm with Matt on this one, and yeah. um, the Lions take on the Stormers to. Uh, to round at the weekend with the Chiefs, Force Highlanders and Kings all having the bye. So, uh, look, that's going to wrap us up, guys. Uh, anything else we want to say, Matt? No. Good, Hugh. Uh, look, one more thing about the hour. You were telling me to take 20 minutes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Just hear me out. <laughs> All right, look, um, if we can believe the ARU, there's been literally tens of thousands of people listening to us tonight, so we thanks for <laughs> your ears. Um, and we <laughs> get out there and enjoy your rugby this weekend, uh, grassroots and all, and we shall uh, speak to you next week. Yeah, right there, right there.